Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hola y bienvenidos a la Daily Hustle. Presidente, es mejor cerveza. No abate por No Filter Network. Will the Thrill y Miguelito Sandiguito. Pero, as you guys know, we salute our boys each and every single show properly. Yes, 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 yes! Woo! Remember this, folks, when we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, we are fucking useless. What a yes movement this weekend. Building off of the Hunter Pence unfiltered on No Filter Network last Wednesday, I took the yes, 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 and implemented it with the boys. And basically, how I explained it was there's yes people in life and there's no people in life. And there's nothing in the middle. Either you're a yes person or a no person. We at LTP, we at No Filter Network are yes people. So as we got rolling and into the tourney, I got the boys just, yes, 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 yes. And they loved it, man. It was so fun. It became a rallying cry. I know something sticks when, or I know something was at least say a good idea when I'm walking around and we're not in the midst of the game or whatever else. And you'll see the kids going, yes, 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 yes. So they obviously caught on to it. It was such a cool experience this past weekend in, where were we? West Covina. So quick recap of the tourney weekend. Basically, played two games on Saturday, four o'clock and six o'clock, and gave up four runs in the first game. So the score, final score ended up being eight to four. The score in the second game was 13 to one, but because we gave up five runs that got us the seven seed. Well, it was a 35 team California state championship tournament. And that meant we had to play four games on Sunday. Well, the first game we played the 66ers, my guy, Joe over there, have a lot of respect for him and had a battle. It was tight the entire game, a little bit of back and forth, but we were able to prevail despite threats coming from the stands and everything else. Don't ask me on this one. It's just, it's beyond me 
how and why people lose their minds at these things. But it's sad, I, I think, in a lot of ways because it's not about the kids anymore when something like that happens. So without going into too much detail, it, it just, look, people get emotional, and I understand that, and I get it. It's part of life. But ultimately, when we're dealing with youth sports, you got to be able to step back. You have to be able to separate your emotions from things you might be thinking instead of just blurring it out and saying it was turned into an unfortunate situation because mainly what happened is that that ended up overshadowing what was a really good game. And so that was the first game. That was just to get into the quarterfinals. And then the second game was the quarterfinals against this team called Combat. Mm. And we played Combat twice before. And both of them were battles. The first one, I think it was 8 nothing, But the score was not indicative of what the game actually was because I think we were up maybe like one nothing until the last inning. And then we just poured it on and we ended up eight running them. But <clears throat> that battle that we had with them on Sunday was probably one of my favorite games that we've played as an organization. It was a little bit of the same as I explained, like there was some back and forth, but we got to the point where we took the lead and this was in the last inning. We were visitors. So we took the lead and then we had to get three outs. Well, I want to say, man, I don't know. I, I couldn't even tell you the score right now. It, let's just call it like we're up 6-3. Well, they make it 6-5 with two outs and runners at first and third. A deep fly ball is hit to left center field. I mean deep. Our kid comes running over. Center fielder's running over. It's like, oh, shit. I'm holding onto my arm like this. And for whatever reason, I'm just like, I start digging my nails into my flesh. I, next thing you know, our left fielder. Whap, hauls it in. Ball game. Now, on the surface, it's like, oh, hey, pretty cool. Yeah, you guys won again. Now, the ball falls. It's done. It's over. We're losing. But the fact that the kid who made the play dropped a ball a couple weeks ago in Vegas in a pretty critical time, he then reached out to me afterwards. His dad did, but he was kind of with him. He's like, hey, Diesel wants to know what he can do to get better. And I said, look, Brett, this is what we're going to have to do. He's got to get behind the baseball. He's a good athlete. I know he can play the outfield. He's not there yet. He's not a good outfielder yet. He's a good athlete, though. So he has the ability. He takes good jumps. He has a difficult time getting to a spot 
and then he drifts back. So I said, dude, work on shooting the fly balls, you know, well up into the air, and it'll give him the time to get comfortable, get back behind it. And then when he catches it, you want him working back towards the baseball. Makes sense. So they ended up sending me a bunch of different videos of Diesel going back, making the play exactly like I'd explained. It's like, hey, how's it look? I'm like, it's fucking fantastic. Yeah, that's that's it. And so I was just impressed with Diesel wanting to improve and understanding that, hey, look, and I, I would never ostracize a kid for one fly ball miss or ground ball miss. Like it's that's not a big deal. They're 12. Like they're gonna miss stuff. But there was an adjustment that needed to be made. And then he reached out. I gave him the guidance. He went and worked on it. So to see a play like that made just a short period of time, we're talking about two, three weeks ago when we were in Vegas, it literally brought a tear to my eye. It was overwhelming. And I just am so proud of Diesel for going out there and having that drive and passion to want to improve instead of poor me. I didn't make the play. I hope I get better. No, fuck that. I'm going to go out and work my ass off and I'm going to do everything in my power to get better. That's what life is about. Oftentimes we're going to fail in a pretty big situation. And that's okay. But how we react to that failure is going to determine where we go from there. So if you fail in that big situation and then you look at it, you're like, hey, I was overwhelmed. It was too much. I didn't get it done. I suck. Or you start making every excuse. The sun was in my eyes. Why did the coach have me playing out there anyway? I should have been playing further to this side or further to that side. That's one way to approach it. And obviously that way is not going to get you anywhere. The other way to approach it is accountability. What adjustments can I make mechanically and from a work ethic perspective that will prepare me to be able to be ready to catch this ball the next time it comes to me? And so to see Diesel do that and then to have that ball be the tournament. That was a tournament. That was it. That literally was it. That was everything. We went on in the semifinal game. We played this black diamond team that took down Reed Johnson, which nobody expected, but we jumped on them early, took like a five, four, five, nothing lead in the first inning. So we actually started diesel in that game and we pulled Jesse, who is our ace. And so we were able to save Jesse for the finals. The black diamond semifinal game was 11, nothing. And then the finals, we played a one-on-one elite, a lot of familiar faces on the other side. It was cool to see them uh, and ended up winning eight, nothing. And that was it. But afterwards I'm giving the talk to the boys 
and we're handing out rings or whatever. But, you know, the general premise of it was, look, we're trying to build great baseball players, and we're definitely doing everything in our power to try to succeed on the baseball field. But the lesson that we were all taught today by Diesel was what not only baseball is about, but it's what life's about. And when we're able to transcend the game with lessons like these, it's invaluable. And it gives me so much, I don't know, glee, joy, whatever you want to call it, to see this happen because we like to believe, at least I do, that we're making an impact on these kids. So it's just fucking awesome. And I felt like it was a great opportunity to then pass that message on, obviously, to the other kids that we have because they all fail. We all fail. Everybody fails. But how are you going to react to that failure? So let's get into the daily hustle right away. It's going to reiterate kind of a lot of what I just said. But this one definitely is worth going over. Tear jerking play was the title today. A few weeks ago, the LTP 12-year squad was in a huge journey in Vegas. And one of our kids dropped a fly ball in a pretty big moment. He's a really good athlete and takes decent routes to the ball, but he has a tendency to drift the last few feet before attempting to finish the catch. After the tourney, he reached out and wanted to know what he could do better. I got very specific and explained he needed to bust his ass to get behind the baseball and then work back towards it with a huge emphasis on following the ball all the way into the glove. The kid then proceeded to send me videos of him in his yard catching balls fired out of a hackmatech machine. He wanted to make sure he was doing it right and was looking for any possible critique that could make him better. Fast forward to the 35-team PG State Championship tourney this past weekend. We were up one with the tying and winning runs on base and two outs in the bottom half of the last inning in our quarterfinal matchup. The kid on the other team proceeded to hit a Sky-high fly ball into the gap in deep left center field. The math is simple. If the ball is caught, we win. If it drops, we lose. That's when our little dude, the same one who dropped the ball in Vegas and had been working his ass off on his outfield play over the last three weeks, sprinted in the gap, got behind the ball, and followed it all the way into the glove to end the game with a sick play. It literally brought tears to my eyes. We proceeded to win 11 nothing in the semifinal and then took home the chipper with an 8 nothing victory in the finals. During the awards ceremony speech, I lost my shit again thinking about the passion, energy, effort, and mindset it took for this kid to put in the work that subsequently allowed him to make that play. As we all have and will, this kid dealt with a pretty big failure. Yet instead of feeling sorry for himself, 
He attacked the issue by seeking out instruction and then complementing that with work. Then, just a short time later, with the entire attorney resting on his glove in the most high-pressure situation imaginable, he didn't have to rise to the occasion. He got to fall to his level of training and competently made an extremely difficult play. Unless we are assholes, we as parents and coaches are pretty good encouragers when kids deal with failure. Yet, without clear direction and without the kid taking detailed actions, the failures will often repeat themselves. Yes, our positive and uplifting words matter, but we also must give them the know-how and tools to get better. Once we do that, it's not up to us whether or not they make the next play that gets us sobbing tears of joy. It's up to them and the work they are willing to put in. So, yeah, that's it. It's why we do this. Education experience. That the two greatest things we give our kids that nobody will ever be able to take away. Explain that to the parents afterwards, too. Obviously, I repeat it 9,000 times here on the Daily Hustle. It's what my dad said. Only two things I give you no one ever take away. And the experience of Diesel going through that, and by the way, greatest name ever. It, it gets better with this kid, though. So come to find out, he was born with two club feet. And had to spend essentially like the first year of his life in casts. And then his parents were telling me the story that I guess he had the cast on, he rolled over and somehow broke his arm. So at one point he had two full leg casts and an arm cast on. The bomb, Jill. She said, when he was born, he came out of square. And she's like, where's the rest of them? The kid now is this big. I'm not kidding. Go look at pictures. He's tiny. But he is a fucking baller. He is a fighter. And then, you know, with all of this, with the two club feet, the kid's one of the fastest kids on the team. He flies. So it doesn't surprise me learning what I learned about him that he would take some adversity and then go ahead and run with it. And on top of that, he pitched a one hitter in the semifinal. He gets on the mound and people look at him and they're like, dude, we're going to kill this guy. And typically they have no chance. He is legit. Pitcher, hitter, legit. He's going to be a hell of an outfielder too. So it's just an inspiration, I think, for all of us to watch him and go about his business and the work ethic and everything else. It's just it's such a pleasure and joy to have on the team. The other thing, I guess... He used to get nervous or nervous that every time he was going to go pitch. And if you look at him, he looks like the most calm and cool, collected kid on the mound, but he would throw up every single time. So 
you know, Brett, the dad, he's told me, he's like, I'm like, let me know when I should or should not tell him. So you guys can properly pre- prepare his nutrition for, uh, for the morning or afternoon or whatever. But it's just, again, just fun to, fun to watch the, uh, the progression and how he goes about, uh, everything because it's, we, we can learn from it. I mean, this is the education that we're going to get through going through that experience. And even though they say maybe it wasn't ours specifically, I think all of our boys, you know, plenty of our boys had some tough weekends and they're able to draw upon that. And that's, I mean, that, that's everything. We just, we've had so many couple other sort of weird instances where one of our kids that didn't want to take the ball when I asked him to pitch, I go, yo, like, you know, go warm up. And he's like, uh, I don't, I don't really want to. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? What are you talking about? He goes, I just don't think I'm going to be good if I'm not properly prepared and this and that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, dude, we need you, man. I said, but if you don't want it, no problem. And then he calls back a minute later. He goes, no, I'll take it. I want it. So remember this with all of it is that we're dealing with kids. I think that's a, the greatest reminder uh, is when you get some of these responses and everything else. All right. Buffalo Bills. Fire Ken Dorsey as offensive coordinator after the Monday night football debacle last night. I don't know what to say other than Ken Dorsey does not throw or catch or carry the football because the Buffalo Bills problem last night were the turnovers. And as much as you'd like to blame it on the offensive coordinator, I don't know what to tell you. There's they got a hold on to the fucking football. I mean, I don't know if they're putting Vaseline on this thing or what, but it just looks slippery. And they're having a really, really difficult time keeping the ball in their hands. That was the problem with the Bills last night, as you see the Marv Levy jersey, by the way. I decided to pull it out this morning, knowing that I was gonna be talking Bills. I have some really good friends. Uh, who live in the Buffalo area, Pat O'Connell. And he's the most passionate Bills fan I know. He was calling for heads last night. He was. Now, I don't know if it's, you know, Sean McDermott, the head coach, or obviously here it's Dorsey. The defense hasn't been great either, but they've been depleted with injuries. So a lot of times we want to point fingers everywhere. And maybe that is, that's not what you need to do. I mean, Look, the pointing fingers is done. You make the move. So instead of playing the blame game here and there, you know what sucks, and I don't know what kind of relationship Josh Allen had with Ken Dorsey. I imagine pretty good, though. They're both Northern California guys. Ken Dorsey, I I thought, you know, did fine. I, I don't... When you look at it, they failed to get in sync a lot. So that might be the issue, but I don't know if it's personnel. I don't know if it's turnovers. I mean, that was a sixth straight game with interception for Josh Allen. Remember, this team started fucking 4-0. So a lot of it, not, I mean, a huge part of it, it of the determining factor of football games are turnovers. And when you're losing the turnover battle, I want to say you lose like 70, 80% of the time. So... 
We'll see what comes of it. Uh, the article here says the Buffalo Bills are making a drastic in-season change to spark their disappointing offense. The Bills fired offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey on Tuesday, less than 24 hours after a 24-22 loss to the Denver Broncos on Monday night. Dropped Buffalo to 5-5. Five and five. Well, Bills quarterback Josh Allen leads the NFL with 19 touchdown passes this season. He also has a league-worst 11 interceptions and 13 turnovers. Allen also tied for the NFL lead with 17 interceptions last season. He had two interceptions and a fumble in the loss to the Broncos, which featured the Bills' turnovers in all. Since Allen entered the league in 2018, no QB has had more turnovers, 94, than the two-time Pro Bowl selection. Yeah, well, guess what? Michael Jordan missed more shots than everybody else in the history of the game, too. So, fuck off. Uh, Josh Allen's legit. I'm not coming off of Josh Allen. He's a bit of a gunslinger. And it leads to turnovers. He makes aggressive throws. And I'm okay with that. It says, well, the Bills rank seventh in yards per game, 370. And eighth in points per game, 26.2. The offense has not produced more than 25 points in the last six contests, a stretch in which the team has gone two and four. Dorsey took over as the Bills' offensive coordinator in 2022 after Brian Dable was named head coach of the New York football giants, was considered a potential head coaching candidate entering the season. He interviewed for the Panthers' coaching vacancy this past season. Joe Brady who was passing game coordinator and receivers coach at LSU during the Joe Burrows national title run in 2019, will take over as Buffalo's interim offensive coordinator for the rest of the season. Brady was the offensive coordinator with the Panthers from 2021 or 2020 and 2021. The Bills move comes five days before their next game, Sunday at home against the New York Jets. Buffalo lost the first match of 22-16 in the season opener on September 11th. Well, Look, you know what good coaches do? This is what you see with Bill Belichick all the time. They make adjustments. That's it. They game plan. I mean, it is very specific to who they're playing and what they're trying to do. So I think it sucks for Dorsey a little bit because he gets shit canned. And this would have been his real good opportunity to prove himself as they play the Jets for the second time and get the game plan for them. That's big. So when you go in there the first time and you get your ass kicked like they did against the Jets, they got their ass kicked. I know the score was a lot tighter, but the Jets' defense just absolutely dominated the Bills in that game. So I would have been interested to see what adjustments Dorsey would have made, you know, especially with the way the offense is, the offense is firing right now, but we will not know. All right, Shohei Otani. It's rumor time, baby. The star expressed an affinity for the Dodgers, Red Sox, and Rangers who look to be the front runner. Wow. As he begins to survey the landscape in MLB free agency, Shohei Otani is beginning to warm to some preferred suitors, according to ESPN's Jeff Passan. Passan reported on Tuesday 
that the 2021 American League MVP has expressed affinity for certain teams and cities in the past. The Los Angeles Dodgers, Texas Rangers, and the Boston Red Sox are three of those teams. You know what else he's going to have an affinity for? A fuck ton of money. Because the question is going to become, what is he going to command? Mike Trout signed a 12-year, $426 million deal. That's the biggest contract in MLB history. So I've got to believe that he will 100% ask for something north of $500 million. 100%. But then the question becomes, what sort of average annual value are we talking about with Otani? Keith Law of The Athletic reported in August one belief was that the three-time All-Star is worth north of $70 million. What the fuck? Come on. I don't know where they think they're going to get their return on investment, though. Seriously, 70 large? Baseball's big in the United States. It's big in Japan, so you could try to say that, yeah, maybe that's the reasoning behind it. I just don't know if you're going to get that value back. $70 million. Pugh. I got to believe it's going to be a huge market team, which eliminates just about everybody except for the Dodgers, except for the Red Sox. The Rangers are a wild card. They could do it. They could get some of that fuck you Texas oil money. Yeah. Why not? You got a couple of those freewheeling cowboys out there that are all riding the Rangers bandwagon right now. Hell yeah. Sign them up, boy. Why not? Let's keep this party rolling. That's a good idea. Mm. Well, remember this. He's fucking hurt. He can't throw. So, where's his offensive value? It's there's a 10 more player, but that's like five and five on offense and pitching. So, all of a sudden, you're a five more player. That's you're really good, like you're a perennial all star. You're not worth 70 million dollars a year. Now, he's gonna come back, but at some point, you gotta believe that. Yeah, I. How long is he going to be able to do this? It's just taxing on his body. When he was pitching and hitting and killing it and doing everything he was doing, remember he was dealing with those cramps. He couldn't get over the cramp issue, and then eventually his body just broke down on him. I try to tell him, French's yellow mustard. I don't know if you listen to me or not. I did stop hearing about the cramps, so maybe 
it actually did work. But it'll be fun to see how this thing plays out. It says, sure, Sino Otani would require a record-breaking offer, but there's a good chance wherever, whatever team that signs him more than makes back its investment, you think? That could be the kind of confidence that convinces an ownership regime to earmark an outlay that would otherwise be unthinkable. Well, how do we know that? We really think that he'll make it back? Seriously? I, if he stays healthy and has the year that he had like this, so number one, the next two years are like impossible for that, right? He's not coming back. He's, he's not going to come back throwing. So offensively, he could have great years the next two years. But say then he comes back throwing. Now, well, now, I mean, he's 29 right now. By the time he's back pitching and hitting, he's going to be 32. And then we're going to assume that he can do that shit up until he's 40? I doubt it. Is he a superstar? Yeah. Is he the best player in the game? Yeah. Is he one of the better players to ever play the game of baseball? 100%. But is that ROI going to ever come back? I don't think so. I think you overpay for it and just say, fuck it. Why not? If you can afford it, then take insurance out in case he gets hurt. Uh, MLB rumors, athletics proposed Vegas move expected to be approved this week. According to Evan Drellich of the athletic, the owners will vote on the relocation proposal Thursday at a meeting in Arlington. And a 75% vote is needed in order to make the move a reality. Eight no votes would be enough to throw a wrench into the relocation plans. But a source said they have not heard of any of the owners opposing the plan. Yeah, the owners want to get the fuck to Vegas, man. It's only natural. They're human. Little boys trip, right? Whatever. Uh, that's, I, I mean, Vegas is essential. I think for all of the major pro sports teams. By the way, probably heading to Vegas on Thursday. Um, going forward here, it says the A's have been in Oakland since moving from Kansas City in 1968. And although they have enjoyed a great deal of success, they have been unable to secure a long-term future in the city. Multiple attempts to build a new ballpark to replace the old is out of date. Yeah, yeah. As a result, the A's announced their intention to relocate back in April, and all signs point toward it becoming a reality. In addition to having a subpar facility, athletics had the lowest attendance in MLB in 2023. Their average attendance, 10,275. Just to give you guys a gauge, my first year in Sacramento, this is the first year of the Rivercats franchise, in 2000. We averaged 14,111. 14, Incredible. Okay. A couple other the um, top stories. This is Jim Harbaugh thing. This just keeps going and going, and it's getting more interesting by the minute. He don't give a fuck. That's one thing I do know. Harbaugh was talking about Judge Judy. Can't wait to show up in court. It is hilarious. Now, the question is going to be, is he going to be able to coach? He's filed a restraining order against the Big Ten. 
I have no idea what's going on. But uh, Paul Feinbaum, this guy's a trip. It says Paul Feinbaum versus Michigan. Sniveling Wolverines fans is highly entertaining. It is. Also, in train of thoughts, Patrick Mahomes impresses on Manning Cats, Bad Beats, Penn State, Michigan State ratings, and more. Okay. Whether you agree or disagree with Paul Feinbaum's stance on the Michigan cheating scandal, you have to admire his ability to stay in the trenches and not back down when it comes to tweaking the Wolverines and its fan base, unless you're a Michigan fan, of course. And if you don't have a dog in the fight when it comes to the Michigan saga, you have to be grateful to Feinbaum for providing some great entertainment. It started on November 1st, when before the Big Ten eventually suspended Jim Harbaugh. Feinbaum said on ESPN's Get Up, two weeks ago, I sat here with you and made the biggest mistake of my professional career. I gave Jim Harbaugh the benefit of the doubt. Never again. This is a disgusting story with every revelation, which happens every single day of the week. And the fact that the Big Ten has not done anything yet is inexcusable. Feinbaum doubled down last week and angered the Michigan faithful when he said that if Jim Harbaugh was not suspended, a Wolverines national title win this season would be tainted. By this point, Wolverines fans were frothing at the mouth when it comes to Feinbaum. However, the longtime ESPN college football analyst stood had no intention of backing down. And trust me, some of the backlash against Feynman was not only intense, but completely unhinged. So with Feynman aggressively calling Michigan Jim Harbaugh in recent weeks, calling out Michigan Jim Harbaugh in recent weeks, it's no surprise that he go all in on the coach for saying Monday that the Wolverines should be America's team. Yeah, this is Jim Harbaugh. I love this. This is where Harbaugh just—he talks to my heart. He does some stupid shit. I mean, he just like—I think he does not believe that the rules exist for him. He don't give a fuck. He really doesn't. And on that same token, the cynicism and sarcasm and everything else of Harbaugh—it's just fantastic. He refers to the Wolverines as America's team now. Feinbaum did not disappoint either, accusing Harbaugh of living in an alternate universe and being detached from reality. Feinbaum also dropped the hammer on Wolverine's fans on Monday saying that the Matt Barry show as somebody who deals with fan bases from primarily one conference, but it branches out a little bit broader beyond that. I've never come in contact with a fan base that's as insecure and consumed with their own self-worth in a false way. There's no more sibling fan base in America than Michigan either. Well, hot damn. Tell us how you really feel, Paul. This is serious stuff. Even Nature Boy Ric Flair's pissed at the Paul Feinbaum show. All right. That's enough. I'm done. Uh, by the way, we're sponsored today by Bet Online. Yes. Bet Online is your number one online betting destination if i could find this read right here it's your top spot for all your nba college football nfl and nhl action get everything nba at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport head to bet online today to get in on all the action don't forget to use promo code believe capital b l e 
B-L-E-A-V. That's right. Promo code BLEEP to receive your 50% welcome bonus off your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And also, don't forget about our partners here at No Filter Network and the Daily Hustle. KT Tape. That's right. KT Tape is the savior around here. I have been using this as much as I feel needed whenever I have a little this, a little that. It's simple. You put the tape on, it lifts the skin up, it promotes blood flow to the area. It's fucking awesome. Uh, They also have the Chafe Safe where you can keep your package nice and tight and clean and free from chafing and the blister prevention as well. And then before putting on the tape, go ahead and go for some skin prep wipes. Use the promo code in that corner right there. Go get yourself some KT tape. And then the dad water. That's right. The Tom, Steve, Rodney, and Gary dad water right behind. I'm going to be having a few of those with Will the Thrill tonight on Deuces Wild. We got Thrill back and we'll go over all the postseason awards and talk about the Giants and the new hire and the Uh, what he thinks about the coaching staff that Bob Melvin has put into place. So everyone have a fantastic day back with the daily hustle tomorrow morning. That's it. Oh, by the way, we're live. We're interactive on no filter network. If you want to join us there, John Davis, Collierville, Tennessee, man. Good to see you on and firing away. And then of course we are international. Once again, John Emmanuel Ramos Henderson from Makati City. Have a great day. See ya. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.